Hello, everybody, and welcome to Digging Deeper, a podcast presented to you by the Glendale Road Church of Christ. I am Stephen Hunter. I'm the preaching minister here at the Glendale Road Church of Christ, and I welcome you. Uh, It's often the case that brothers and sisters read things or see things and wonder, why is this? Today we're going to talk about the topic of why do some translations have verses that others don't? For example, you could ask the question a different way. Are there missing verses or are there extra verses? Let me give you an example. If you have your Bible, go ahead and be turning to Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Now, as it goes, while you're turning there, I'll just talk a little bit. But as it goes, the King James Bible is the gold standard of English translations. It was formed in 1611. Yeah, 1611, that's right. Sometimes I have so many dates in my head that I get a little bit confused. But in 1611, the King James Bible was translated and presented, named after the King of England at that time, King James. And circulated and for so long was the English authority, or that is the English Bible authority and standard for all who call themselves Christians. Now, however, if you have a more modern version, such as the NIV, the New Revised Standard Version, the English Standard Version, and some others, you're going to notice that there are some verses that you might say are, quote, missing. But are they missing? Okay, so I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 37. The New King James, then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, if you read more modern translations, it will go from verse 36 to verse 38. And people wonder, they go, why do some of these newer translations not have that verse? There are about a total of 16 or 17 verses for which this is the case. You'll find them in your New King James and your King James Bible. And there's always this conspiracy. The conspiracy is that liberal scholars who have given us all these modern translations have chosen to omit maliciously certain verses. Well, if that's the view you want to take, I would say that that is an uninformed view. It's not entirely accurate. So why do newer translations, such as the English Standard Version that's very popular, uh, as well as the NIV. Why do they not have those verses? If you have one of those Bibles and you'll look in the place, there's usually a footnote. It may have, you know, between the two verses. For example, in the New Revised Standard Version, Verse 36, they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And after that question is a little S. And when you highlight that, if you're using Bible software, or if you look at it in your Bible, there's usually a little explanation as to why that is. So, 
how do we answer the question? Have the liberal scholars removed those 16, 17 portions of verses maliciously to undermine the faith? Some people believe they have, but that is not the case. Though the New King James, and the, uh, rather the King James, is among the oldest English translation, they, and because they are pointed to as the standard of English translations, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are right. As a matter of fact, Alexander Campbell, who was affiliated with the Churches of Christ in the 19th century, produced his own New Testament, the Living Oracles of God, I believe it's called. And so here's the thing, just because the King James is older English doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best. So let me get into the history of this and explain this to you. Maybe you have noticed in your version, even in the New King James or the King James, there is a note at the end of verse 37, or actually uh, in the New King James at the beginning of verse 37. So it has right after verse 37 this little asterisk or this little notation that you highlight if you're using Bible software or you look at it at the bottom to see what the footnote says. So let me explain how all this works. Your New Testament is translated from Greek and the very first Greek New Testament to be comprised was in 1516 by a fellow by the name of Erasmus. This is during the Renaissance, the dawn of the Renaissance. So when Erasmus made his Greek New Testament that was partially used to produce the English King James Version, he had available manuscripts of the New Testament that dated back to the 12th century. So he's in the year 1516 and some 400 years earlier, those are the manuscripts that he had. Now, remembering that we're focusing on the New Testament translated from Greek, there is a Greek Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. Uh, or if you have a Bible, you may see the capital letters LXX, which, is, which are rather Roman numerals for 70, because 70 Hebrew rabbis translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek New Testament, uh, excuse me, the Greek Old Testament. And if you notice in your Bibles, when you read, say, for example, the book of Hebrews, which quotes Old Testament passages uh, quite often, if you will read how Hebrews quotes them, and then you go back into the actual Old Testament book and read that verse, you'll notice there's a little bit of variation, a little bit of difference. And that's because more often than not in the New Testament, they were not quoting the Hebrew Old Testament, but the Greek Old Testament. Clear as mud? Yeah, I know. We're getting very technical, but that's why these podcasts are called Digging Deeper. The intent of Digging Deeper is to go beyond what is simple in our faith. And I really enjoy Digging Deeper myself because I always have questions. But anyway, back to the topic at hand. During Erasmus's time, remember, he was translating from 12th century manuscripts, but there were older manuscripts that were from the 10th century. We might think, well, why wouldn't you take the older ones, because that's closer to the time of the apostles than the ones that you're using. 
For whatever reason, he opted to use those from the 12th century. It may have been that they were uh, better manuscripts, or it may have been that the 10th century manuscripts were not as well preserved. We don't know. But anyway, as time passed, uh, scholars made revisions along the way that echoed the Greek New Testament that Erasmus gave. And most English translations through 1880 use that Greek New Testament to produce the English versions that we have because they relied on that Greek New Testament, which is called Textus Receptus, which means received text. You know, they always had to speak in Latin. They just couldn't speak in English. But anyway, by the 1700s, many more manuscripts had been discovered some of which were six to nine centuries older than what Erasmus had available in 1516. Now, these older manuscripts, which are even closer to the time of the apostles, they lack these 16, 17 verses. So now, scholars were saying, well, why do they lack them? And why do others have them? The conclusion was that maybe a scribe mistook a margin, an explanatory margin, marginal comment for a correction and copied it into the text, which would account for why older English translations have a few more verses. So, by 1831, a new Greek New Testament was made and appeared. And it was based off these older manuscripts that date to the, uh, to the 5th and 4th uh, centuries. Since the manuscripts were older, they omitted these 16 passages to construct a more ancient version that is reflected in modern English translations today. But however, imagine that since 1611, all the way through 1880, the Bible read in English as one thing. And people actually read their Bibles back then, those that were literate. Unlike today, where most of us have many Bibles, the majority of which collect dust. Bible reading is a very important exercise, something we should definitely get back into. But because the King James Bible reigned as the preeminent English translation, there arose some issues. And I'll get to those in a second. Because of the newer Greek New Testament, there is a Bible called the Revised Version that was commissioned in England in 1881. The Revised Version, remember, as older manuscripts are found, older fragments of letters are found, that's why we have revisions. The Revised Version would later birth the New Revised Standard Version. And after that, it birthed the English Standard Version. Now, I like, personally, I like the New Revised Standard Version myself. And in most of academia, that is often the standard choice of English versions. Now, when the Revised Version appeared in, after 1881, there was a huge uproar since the long-dominant King James had set the standard. And a lot of people were so upset that they would quote Revelation 22, verse 19, 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. So that was the argument for those who read the Revised Version and noticed that there were these 16, 17 verses missing. But those who upheld the Revised Version would quote back to them Revelation 22, verse 8, which says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So you had a huge, huge falling out between those who wanted to keep with the King James and those who said we need to go with the Revised Version because it's based on earlier manuscripts. Now, translation, boy, this is sticky, isn't it? Translations that omit these added verses usually always contain a marginal note or a footnote explaining that these verses appear in later manuscripts. Modern translations do not leave these verses out per se any more than the older ones added them. They are simply the product of the information available at the time. Now that we have older information, the translations that omit them, in my opinion, should be more commonly used. As a minister, as a student of scripture, as a historian, one of the things that I want, I want the oldest possible version of scripture to know what they had then. Now, because there are variations in manuscripts, you might be thinking to yourself, well, should I even really trust the scripture? My answer to that is absolutely. Scripture is divinely inspired, given to us by God for reproof, correction, you know the verse. And the thing is, any error that we might find is not the error of God, but the error of humans who were at their time doing the very best that they could with the very best information. More recent translations use a vast amount of resources. The standard for most English translations in the Old Testament is what's called the Masoretic Text of the Hebrew Bible. And the Greek New Testament that is used is referred to as uh, the New Testament in Greek or in Latin, Novum Testamentum Graeche. Translators often consult alongside these sources the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, the Samaritan Pentateuch, which is the Law of Moses, and the Syriac Peshitta, the Syriac Bible, as well as the Latin Vulgate and various other sources, because they may help shed light on texts that may be difficult to translate. So let me give you an example. You know the passage in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Well, the Hebrew word translated as, virg as virgin is Alma. And Alma can be translated as virgin or maiden or simply young lady. It doesn't always indicate virginity. However, the Greek Old Testament, in the place of Alma, put the Greek term Parthenos. Think of the Parthenon. Parthenos literally means virgin. So when Matthew mentions this verse from Isaiah 
he is likely borrowing not from the Hebrew Scriptures, but from the Greek Old Testament. I know this is a lot of information to take in. It certainly is a lot to digest. But if you've ever wondered, I hope this somewhat clears things up for you. So, at the end of the podcast, I want to give you just some announcements so you know some of the things that are happening. First of all, let's talk about what some of our sister congregations have going on. The Lone Oak Church of Christ is having a Ladies' Day tomorrow, April the 15th at 9.30 a.m. Jane Gillen Garrett will be the speaker. The Parkway Church of Christ in Fulton, Kentucky is having a seminar from April 16th through the 19th at 7 p.m. And it's called Restore God's People Seminar. On April 21st at 7 p.m., the Martin Church of Christ in Martin, Tennessee is having a Sing and Be Happy. And finally, the Walnut Grove Church of Christ is going to be having a grief seminar on April 21st from 6.30 to 8, April 22nd from 7.30 a.m. to noon, and April 23rd from at 9.30 and 10.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. Ron and Don Williams will be the speakers. As it goes for us at Glendale Road, uh, remember our Young at Hearts class meets on Thursdays at 10.30 a.m., and I know coming up on April the 20th, there's going to be a meal that follows. So if you're retired or uh, if you maybe you're not retired, maybe there's some other reason that you would be able to make it, you're more than welcome to come and invite friends. As it comes to our youth announcements, April 23rd, Sunday, April 23rd, we at Glendale Road are going to be hosting Bible Bowl for the Jackson Purchase Area Churches of Christ that want to participate. We are in need of canned drinks for this event, and if you're willing and able to make a donation of canned drinks, you can drop those off at the church building from now until April 23rd, and they will be truly appreciated. The children that will be participating in this Bible Bowl have been studying the Book of Romans, so be sure to show them some encouragement and, well, show them some encouragement. I thought there was more to add to that, but there really wasn't. Also at Glendale Road, our ladies' Bible class will meet on Tuesday, April 18th at 10.30. And the lesson will be out of a book that they are using called The Shepherd's Daughter. All ladies are welcome to attend. And if you don't have a book, I'm pretty sure that they're going to have more on hand. So, I hope you've enjoyed this inaugural episode of Digging Deeper. Uh, I'm going to aim to produce one episode per week, maybe more. But we'll start with one. And if you have any particular questions about the Bible or about uh, maybe a passage or about our faith, anything, uh, I may not know the answer, but I promise you that I can research and Lord willing find out the answer. So, may God bless you. And you're always welcome to join us at the Glendale Road Church of Christ. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m. for worship and followed by Bible study at 10 a.m., And we have a bonus worship on Sundays at 6 p.m. to which you are all welcomed, as well as our midweek service at 7 p.m. Excuse me, 6.30 p.m. Almost We had it at 7 for so many years, but we have since moved it back to 6.30 p.m. We're located at 1101 Glendale Road here in Murray, Kentucky. And I hope you'll join us. And if there's anything we can ever do, please reach out. 
God bless you, and Lord willing, we'll see you again.